And so I'd like to um, offer some instructions for today. And just to let you know that um, we are recording the instructions every day, as well as in the evening, the talk. And so um, no need to write any notes. Actually, sometimes the notes can take us away from the direct experience and just trusting that um, you will receive what you need to receive. And of course, there'll also be time for after each morning with the instructions and the sit and some Q&A, there'll be some time for some questions to clarify as well. And of course, is the group and individual practice discussion. So we'd really want to suggest that there's no need for any note-taking and to trust what emerges. <coughs> and so, um, in the teachings of mindfulness, there are four foundations. These all come from what's known as the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, or the, the setting up for the great foundations, the four foundations of mindfulness is taught in, within Buddhism, Buddhist psychology. And a little bit about the foundations of mindfulness. And the, the Buddha has said that uh, these practices are the most direct way to uh, realization, to liberation, to nibbana, to enlightenment. And it is said that if you practice these four foundations, which is the foundation of the body, feeling tones, mind states, and the dharmas, that um, if you practice these sincerely, that within seven years, you will reach full enlightenment. And then he goes on to say, if not seven years, six years, if not six years, five years, not five years, four years, down to one year, and then it continues to go down 11 months, 10 months, five months, four months, three months, two months, one month. Then even goes down to weeks, three weeks, two weeks, one week. <laughs> so we're here for five nights, so we'll maybe we'll get two, almost three quarters enlightened. <laughs> but it's very beautiful that um, saying that even within some days, within a week, Practicing sincerely and diligently, we will gain deep insight and knowledge. So again, there's <clears throat> the teachings of the body, of feeling tones, mind states, and we're going to be practicing parts of each of these through our time together. The fourth foundation, called the dharmas, is a collection of teachings that point to liberation as well as support on how to work with the practice. So we actually will be employing from the fourth foundation different aspects of these collections of teachings to support us during the week, such as how to work with challenges, how to support factors that help awaken a deeper penetration into what constitutes a, a human being, a mind and a body, and then the teachings of um, the Four Noble Truths, and so these are all drawn from this fourth foundation of mindfulness that we'll be 
drawing from in this retreat practice. And it's important to know <clears throat> all of this because, <clears throat> pardon me, as many of you know, John Kabat-Zinn, who's the founder of MBSR, and really um, helped to popularize and bring mindfulness into the world in a very profound way. It's very interesting, uh, 30 years ago when I began teaching MBSR, if I was in a, a group of people, of, let's say 20 or 30 people, and I said, how many of you heard of mindfulness? I might only get two or three hands raised in the air. Nowadays, if I ask a group of 30 people, how many of you heard of mindfulness? Uh, 27 of the 30 people will have raised their hands and maybe only three have not. So it's quite amazing how much mindfulness has exponentially grown throughout the world. And also uh, having the humbling opportunity to travel to every continent of the world and to be teaching mindfulness, practicing mindfulness and visiting so many different cultures of people wanting to learn mindfulness and to bring to their culture is astounding. And of course, this very community here, there's 14 or 15 different countries that are representative of people that are wanting to deepen their practice to share with, with, with your fellow country and culture. So it's, yeah, like, I'll read to you towards the end of the retreat this beautiful poem by Naomi Shiab Nye, but she talks about a shared world, and this is really a shared world, you know, having such representation from so many different uh, countries here that um, gives us hope. We can come together, it's a shared world, and it can still happen, it is happening. So, um, as many of you know, uh, John Kabat-Zinn was a Zen practitioner and an insight Vipassana practitioner, practitioner. And when he was at the Insight Meditation Society, you know, in some ways going through a kind of a, a very similar retreat than what's being offered here, because a very typical Insight Meditation retreat walks us through with practice the foundations of mindfulness, the teachings of the Dharma, the Four Noble Truths, the marks of existence, loving kindness, which is what we'll be doing here. And it was out of this experience, and also, of course, his past practice experience, that gave rise to this inspiration of his love of medicine and his love of meditation. And then his mind began to speculate, could these two be brought together? And of course, the rest is history. And now, 40 years later, we're here and, and we're practicing. And, and that vision of his uh, spread over the whole world. Very beautiful. But I think it's very important for us as mindfulness teachers, practitioners, that we understand the roots of where these practices came from. No doubt we're offering in a more secular, though I, I actually, to be very honest, um, I don't like that word secular, <laughs> and I'll say why. Because secular has such a cold feeling to me, and those of us that are teaching mindfulness, it's so spiritual, it's so much filled with love and with connection. It's, 
It's much more than something secular. It, it's sacred. So I don't know what quite what the right politically, I guess politically correct is people call it secular because we don't want to have this intersection of you know, church and state. But at the, at the same time, it's just so spiritual. It's so filled with love and with wisdom. So I don't know, maybe I'll just like to call it mindfulness in the world or something. I'm not sure what the, quite the right word is here. But there's also a skillful means, because you know, in, in America and 40 years ago, and you know, even to this day, it's more of a, of a, a, you know, there is a separation between church and state, and so how to deliver these teachings in no-nonsense, everyday language that can be understood by anyone, no matter of whatever tradition or spiritual tradition that you come from. And so this is, I understand there's a beautiful wisdom to that so that it can be accessible. And at the same time, I think it's also important for us as practitioners, and of course so many of you already know this, that, that the mindfulness teachings come from this very rich, ancient Buddhist psychological tradition. And so these are the underpinnings of um, what drives mindfulness. And of course, mindfulness is, is, is connected with ethics, with living virtuously. It's an intrinsic, inherent part of this practice is the development of virtue, which of course, last night we took the five trainings or precepts, the three refuges, inspiration, cultivating this field of safety. <clears throat> So all of these mindfulness-based approaches come from these essential teachings, as well as, of course, stress physiology, stress psychology, neuroscience, edu uh, educa experiential education, group process. So we know there's a number of different underpinnings, yoga, the wisdom traditions, that inform all of these mindfulness-based approaches. And this retreat will really focus on the, the Buddhist psychology to really understand from the inside what these teachings are and how they, um, you know, through our own practice, understanding them much more intimately. And of course, how they inform the mindfulness that we teach in the world. <coughs> so we're beginning with the foundation of the body. Martha Elliott, a poet, says that, that um, our history is here inside our body, and our body is our storehouse of all of our learnings and thoughts and experiences, only waiting to reveal its treasures to yourself. So help yourself and let the learning emerge and take shape, appreciating the wisdom of the body with you and for you. Our history is here inside our body. Our body is our storehouse. And very poetically, the Buddha speaks of the body and the mind in this way. He goes up within this fathom long body. And a fathom is a measurement to measure the depths of water. It's about two feet. It's about two meters long, about six feet. But he says again that within this fathom-long body with its thoughts and emotions lies our world. Its origin, its cessation, its pathway to freedom. 
is found within this fathom-long body. So we begin this retreat inhabiting the body, anchoring into this breathing body with its senses. Within the body practices in the first foundation of mindfulness, there are actually six that I just want you to know about. We'll be mostly focusing on the first three. But it's important for you to have a, you know, an understanding of, of the range of these practices. The first uh, is our bodily posture. And of course, as a human being, we can reside in four postures, walking, standing, sitting, and lying, that we bring our mindfulness to in the body, in the postures. And then the second is to bring mindfulness to our breath, breathing in and breathing out. The third is bringing mindfulness into our day-to-day -day activities of everyday life, a clear comprehension of knowing when we're bending, standing, sweeping, washing dishes, folding laundry, toileting, and so forth. So this clear comprehension of bringing mindfulness to our day-to-day -day activities. In this retreat, we'll be focusing more largely on these first three practices, of the posture, the breath, the mindfulness in day-to-day -day activities, and of course, we'll expand from the breath into different senses that I'll do in a little bit. And the fourth practice, to me, is the original body scan. And I think for those of us that teach MBSR, at some point, um, I want you to take interest in this. Maybe someday we'll, I'll come here and we'll do a 32 parts of the body meditation retreat. This is the original body scan comprised of 20 solid parts and 12 liquid parts. It's, it's an anatomical practice. And each of these parts is really a representation or a gateway or an ambassador into all of the different parts of the body. And it has kind of a traditional form to this practice. And a lot of these parts may not seem to make a lot of sense. Like, why is this part mentioned and that other part is not mentioned? And that's another, another discussion and another retreat. <laughs> But just to name, this is anatomical practice, to me, the original body scan of the 32 parts of the body. So if you're wondering, what are these 20 solid parts and 12 liquid parts, here's the list. Head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin. It's broken down into groups of five solid parts, four different groups of five parts, and two groups of six of liquid parts. So this head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, Flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, large intestine, small intestine, stomach, feces, and brain. Biophlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, mucus, oil of the joints, and urine. Quite a group. <laughs> it's interesting that the feces is next to the brain. Did the Buddha have a sense of humor? But of course, we actually know that uh, the digestive system is sometimes known as the second brain. But this practice is to help penetrate into the body, to be helps begin to break the spell of enchantment, to really understand the body as it really is. If we consult a medical dictionary, for example, on head hair or body hair, it will say 
that head here or body here is thin, flexible shafts of hardened cells protruding from the head, protruding from the skin, and that its uh, function is to help for some warmth, so there's thermal regulation, and also some protection from ultraviolet light. That actually is what head here is, thin, flexible shafts of hardened cells. Now you have to admit, or maybe some of us will admit that sometimes after getting a haircut and you look in the mirror and, and how many of us have hated it <laughs> or need to do something with it. We, we are, the cosmetic industry knows enough that um, particularly all these five parts, head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, and skin, because these are the parts that when we look at other people, this is what we see besides clothes. We see hairs, nails, teeth, and skin. And the cosmetic industry is quite aware of that, and it is a multi-billion dollar industry fussing on head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, and skin. And you can imagine how much angst this creates in us and through these images of what somehow in a collective madness we say that this person is beautiful and this person is not. It's actually just all concept the amount of suffering that is created over head hairs and body hairs, nails, teeth, and skin. And if we really look at head hair, it's just thin, flexible shafts of hardened cells. That's all it is. So next time you go to the, get your hair cut, sometimes my partner will come and I'll say, how's your thin, flexible shafts of hardened cells doing? <laughs> and then she'll kind of laugh and it's like, oh, okay, I don't hate my hair as much as I thought I did. But that's what it is. Then, so this is the, this practice is going through these parts and really beginning to, it's not, not to, to come up that they're gross or bad or wrong, but to really begin to understand them clearly, what these are, what their function is. So this is anatomical practice of the 32 parts of the body meditation. <clears throat> And I'm not sure what John Kabat-Zinn's intention was drawing particularly from this practice, because I also know he had strong influences in the yoga tradition uh, with, with some types of scanning of the body, as well as him practicing with S.N. Goenka with the, the body, the sweeping practice. But nevertheless, when we, it's very interesting when we look at actually what was taught in the foundations of mindfulness, there is no body scan to be found. So the body scan is actually a composite. It's actually drawing from this body foundation as well as from the feeling tones and the mind states because, of course, when we do the body scan, we're being aware of what's happening physically and what's rising mentally and emotionally. So it's a composite. It's drawing from these foundations, and um, thus we have this body scan. But if we look at the original teachings, we don't find that traditional body scan and MBSR in there, but it, it's drawn from that, which is, which is wonderful. But it's nice to know um, also what is actually in these foundations of mindfulness. The fifth practice is a practice on the elemental aspects of the body, that the body is made of solids, liquids, motion, and temperature, or earth, or water, or wind or the fire, so the earth, air, wind, and fire, but often we'll refer to more solidity, liquidity, motion, and temperature, that, that just as much as within this body, these bodies made of these elements, they're also found in the natural world.
And actually, this is a very wonderful practice to work with because it begins to dissolve some of the sense of separation between ourselves and the natural world. It's actually much more interconnected. Perhaps, again, that's why Albert Einstein once said that separation is an optical delusion of our consciousness. And of course, science will say that the body is made of atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons, and a lot of space. And of course, these atoms are found here and everywhere. And actually, its birth was from supernovas, exploding stars. So there's some sense, uh, as we do the elemental practices, solids, liquids, motion, and temperature, the sense of borders, boundaries, separation, disconnection begins to dissolve. We're all part of the same soup. It's a very wonderful practice. Then the last practice, the sixth practice, is called in Pali, Maranasati, the mindfulness of death. It's a powerful contemplation on nine different stages of decomposition from the first day of a body's death and nine different stages of decomposition until the body turns into dust, a very powerful practice on the mindfulness of death. So these are the foundations found within the foundation of the body, or the practices found within the foundation of the body. And the, the mindfulness of death practice is a very important practice. Perhaps begins to dispel the belief, as an old Hindu proverb would say, that everyone thinks everyone else is going to die, but not me. And so as we sit with a body that has died and, and gradually begin to witness its dissolving into dust, we begin to understand so too. I am of the nature to die, and I cannot escape from death. And this is a powerful contemplation to work with. And no doubt, in this retreat, we may be at times practicing the mindfulness of death. Death will come to visit us, and it could be opened and to be acknowledged as part of our practice, as well as the elemental aspects or the anatomical aspects. So it's not that we won't um, be touching upon these as we practice this week, but our focus will be more on those first three of our postures, the mindfulness of breathing, and of course sounds, sensations, and our mindfulness in day-to-day -day activities. So with all that being said, we can perhaps begin to rest our attention upon the breath and our posture. <coughs> to be comfortable, to be awake.
And so just sensing into this fathom long body. Becoming established within this first foundation of mindfulness, of the posture. And you're welcome to attend to being aware of the breath as an anchor. And again, in the spirit of wanting to offer other options, understanding that the breath is not a universal object for all people at all times, you're welcome to bring awareness into the ears and listening to sounds. Or perhaps sensing and feeling into the body, different sensations, touch points. You're welcome to just, maybe for a time, kind of experiment what might be most helpful, be it the breath, listening to sounds or feeling sensations, inhabiting this fathom-long body. It's very important as well to really become aware of the attitude of how we work with practice. I love this teaching from Pema Chodron that I think is very applicable for us as practitioners. And she gives the example, a metaphor of training a puppy that needs to learn some commands like stay, come, so forth. And you can train it in a very rigid and tight way. And gradually that puppy will learn those commands, but sometimes their disposition becomes, because of this fear-based type of training, these, they grow up to be more skittish or more neurotic or more confused. And by contrast, you could also train a puppy with a lot of kindness and patience and perseverance. And in time, that puppy will also learn those commands. And often the disposition, when one is trained with a lot of kindness, a lot of patience, they become more flexible and confident. So in meditation training, we can even expand this out to life training, may we bring in the sense of growing and flexibility and confidence, which means to bring kind attention to our practice. I think we all know, or many of us know, the pain of the attitude of, of uh, being hard on ourselves. It just brings much more um, confusion and perhaps neuroticism. So how about this training Every time the mind is going off, recognizing it, acknowledging it with kindness, oh, at least now I'm aware that I wasn't here, and coming back. So this training and kindness. So continuing on with either the breath or sounds or sensations within this fathom long body being present.
So thank you. And so each uh, morning, <clears throat> after the instructions and time for practice, we'll have a few minutes for some questions or comments or anything. And then there'll be a, a few announcements. <clears throat> so, um, if anyone has anything, you're welcome to raise your hand and see what happens. Could be about the <clears throat> the instructions that were offered or each night of course there'll be a talk and about the practice, so yeah, see if there's anything. Anybody's heart is beating a little faster, that might be the sign that you might want to say something. <laughs> Going back and forth, well, should I say something? Should I not? <laughs> Do I want to be the first one? <laughs> and there may not be much here, but just want to create a space. So just pause for a little bit more, see if something comes up that you'd like to. Thank you, Bob. Um, thanks for the space. We have something to come up for you. Um, the question about practicing sincerity. Um, there was, I was curious about what that means um, from Buddha's perspective. <coughs> So just so I understand the wanting to <clears throat> know more about what does it mean to practice sincerely. Yeah, thank you. And I don't mean to, I, I would like to respond, but I'm also curious, what, what do you think?
Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, <clears throat> thank you. And that's very beautiful. And it's like the aspiration, the wish to, and, um, you know, the, to me, this, it, there is a thing called wise effort and <clears throat> that's different than striving. Striving has, there's a certain type of clinginess and also like, well, if I don't get it, then this is no good and I'm leaving. So this is kind of a measuring. Well, obviously, I mean, I think for many of us, and in, in including Siddhartha Gautama, who later became the Buddha, it was these realizations of the inevitability of aging, illness, and death that cast him on the spiritual journey to understand what is the meaning of life. So that was a, a very deep central force, this wanting to know the truth, wanting to understand. And that may be in some ways a little bit different than um, striving with clinging. I mean, it's a matter of language and maybe um, you can say one is striving for enlightenment too, and that might be appropriate. So I don't want to get so caught in the, in the language, but let's come back to your earnest you know, comment about the sincerity. To, and to me, that sincerity is, is, is one aspect is having transparent honesty with ourselves and with the practice. And, um, and it's very humbling where we begin to see the places that we get caught, that we're holding on to, that we're pushing away, that we're daydreaming about, that we're not seeing clearly. So there's a certain type of sobering, um, sobering sincerity that's, that guides our practice. And uh, to me, the, the rudder that, that I aspire to hold is the rudder of seeing more clearly where I'm not seeing clearly. Because when I'm not seeing clearly, I'm often grasping onto something or wanting to have aversion and push away from something. So those are a few reflections. Our sincerity to want to, to grow, to wake up, to be present, to have less suffering. That's a very good incentive to practice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if does that speak to what you were Yeah, it's, it takes a lot of courage to be with transparent honesty. <laughs> uh, we may see, recognize parts of ourselves that we weren't so seeing so clearly. But then how do we begin to meet that with compassion and understanding? So thank you. Mm. Mm.
please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Sorry for the Australians and the fires and the tenderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Inevitably, as we sit with ourselves, everything's going to come up. What's known and perhaps at times what's unknown. And so, yeah, if it comes up in the midst of our, our focus today is in the body. But if some strong emotions come up, then yes, it's fine, since they're there, to acknowledge them. And, and, and then try to come back. Yeah. There'll be times that we'll open up more and more to these feelings. And one of the things that, particularly in the beginning of the retreat, there's a, we're working on trying to prime the pump to get a little bit more steady in our mind and body. So this is the steadying training. The mind goes off, acknowledging where you went and bringing it back. It goes off, acknowledging where you went and bringing it back. So we're beginning to develop this repetition and it serves, particularly at the beginning of the retreat, to begin to build our concentration, to steady our minds. And so we're, we're also working on endeavoring to help steady the mind and body, but not to the point of suppressing. If there's a strong emotion that arises, let it be met and let it be acknowledged. Feel it, allow it. And at a certain point, with your wisdom, return back to the breath sensations or sounds and be careful how that sometimes we allow ourselves to feel things and the next thing you know we're lost in the rumination, lost in the catastrophizing, lost in the spin. So it's very important to acknowledge the feeling and then gradually returning back. As the retreat progresses, as we acknowledge the feelings, it may even involve at times to really stay with it more and to investigate it and you know, that always is an option, but I also think at the beginning of the retreat, we're really embarking upon our concentration training to help steady the mind and the body. So let us use some discernment when it is that we stay with a feeling to acknowledge it, to open to it, at times perhaps to investigate it, and when is it time to come back with the training of the breath or sounds or sensations. So this will be part of our practice of learning as we work with it. And yes, there may be, of course, for some of us, some very strong emotions that are arising due to 
the situation that we are in in our life. And, and sometimes, no matter how much I try to be with the breath, this deep sadness or pain or fear keeps on coming up. And at a certain point, it may be futile to be with the breath. And you might just be with that feeling if you feel safe enough and to allow yourself to feel the feeling. And in time, no doubt, your mind will wander off wondering about what's for lunch or whatever, and then coming back to the breath, sensations, or sounds. So we can work with it in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we have no choice that, you know, that, that it's there. And then, ah, okay, let me feel it, acknowledge it. So I think um, <clears throat> take a pause here. So the announcements is not too many. I just want to reiterate, in the spirit of being comfortable and awake, that if your body needs to lie down, it is certainly fine to. That's one of the postures that's recognized as a place we can bring meditation to, as well as standing. Particularly in the afternoon, if some of us are getting really sleepy, it's certainly fine even in the midst of the meditation to stand up and do standing practice. So I just want to you know, encourage um, to support you. And as far as props go, uh, to be conscientious in the sense that there, there was, th and I want to just thank that a few pillows have been set aside here, but there's not enough for most everyone, and I know some people brought their own. But if you're not using a pillow, please bring it back to that corner so that another person can. And, you know, and, and if there's three or four, you might want to return a couple so that other people can use. Of course, there is um, yoga mats and blankets. So if you need like props to put underneath your leg or something like that, you can use it, or from your room, there may be some things so that, you know, if you need some more assistance, by all means, you know, bring something from your room <coughs> as well, but let us all just be conscientious that we're sharing a lot of the things here so that people have an opportunity, so, you know, maybe after a sit, you can just put it back there, and, and so then another person may um, use one of the pillows or whatever. So... Um, <clears throat> What I want to introduce now is a um, <clears throat> walking meditation practice. And <clears throat> for this morning, in the spirit of cultivating our concentration, I want to offer more of a concentrated type of walking meditation practice. So again, this is uh, the intention that I want to bring here is the steadying of the mind and the body. And so doing some more concentrated walking will be supportive to that. I'll also introduce later more of a broader gauge walking practice taking in the environment. You could say that sometimes there's like two different types of walking practices. One that's more like a laser beam, really honing in on the lifting, moving and placing, the shifting of the body weight walking. And another one is more of like a, a broad lens, a wide open lens that's taking in the environment. And both of these practices can be very useful and helpful. <coughs> I think for this morning, in the spirit of wanting to steady the mind, let's do more of the laser beam practice. So I'll invite you to um, 
mindfully shift from the sitting into the standing. So with this type of walking practice, you don't have to go too far. It could even be like, you could walk like the length of a yoga mat and turn around and come back to where you started, or out in a hallway, or outside maybe between two trees. Like, it doesn't have to be a long distance, maybe two or three or four or five lengths of your body. So it doesn't have to be too far. And then this particular practice I'd like you to just find a place where you can either walk two or three or four lengths of the body or maybe one length and then turn around and walk back to where you started. And <clears throat> in this walking practice, I really want you to be aware of the different uh, parts of the walking. So, for example, shifting everyone onto their left hip, lifting the right foot up, moving it forward, and placing it down. And you see there's a shifting of the body weight now on the right hip and leg, Lifting of the left leg up, moving it forward, and placing it down. So we can just take a few steps together. Lifting, moving, placing, shifting. If it's helpful to make those notes, mental notes of those words as you do the practice, you can, or you can just do it in a more fluid, knowing way. And now coming to a pause, and then the body will inform you whether it wants to turn to the right or left and just listen to the body and then begin to turn mindfully. So you're aware of turning as you turn. There's a lot of intricacies to turn this body around and aware of the motion, the shifting, the different weight, and then beginning to lift the foot up, move it forward, and place it down. So shifting, lifting, moving, placing. So just becoming mindful of walking. 